Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us again. It's episode six of season three of the Landlord Page podcast. Everything's going on at the moment. It's the end of the tax year. We're now in our sixth episode of our third season. So we're going to recap today what we've gone through and what's going on at the moment. We've got cost of living. We've got pricing in the market. We've got the change in EPC regulations, grants for heat pumps. Who wants a heat pump? Let's, let's, let's ask that question. And, and about our guests for the previous season, our holiday lets, two property investors we had on, a wealth manager and our repeat guest, Akil, from our mortgage broker. So we're going to roll all the way through that. But my big part of discussion at the moment is the end of the tax year. It's a big review time for landlords, chaps, because people now start doing their tax returns and seeing what they've made and what they haven't made, how much they're paying to their chancellor and whether it's worth being a landlord, whether it's worth reinvesting. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think we've, um, I think we've had a couple of guests actually talking about finances, but in particular when we were talking to Peter Laverdos about how to kind of run your investment as a proper business, that was one thing that he often spoke about was the cash flow and the forecasting sheet. So it'd be interesting to know how many of our listeners has put that into play. And obviously with it being the end of the financial year, how it's looking for them individually. I think there's quite a lot of impacting factors, like you mentioned there, Mike, that are on the horizon with that cash flow for landlords to think about. And I guess if we touch on heat pumps and boilers and what's going to happen to make everything green and more e-friendly, it's, um, it's a topical conversation, which at the moment, I don't think anyone's got an answer for, but we, we probably have an opinion on the amount of money that's going to need to be spent for landlords if that comes into play, Tristan, is is probably quite a lot. I know you've done a little bit of research into exactly what it's going to mean for for a landlord if they did do the changeover. Yeah, definitely. Um, So like I said, I have looked into it quite a bit. And for older properties, um, they're saying that although the grant's up to £5,000, it could cost in the region of £18,000 to work. And the research of how efficient they actually are is between April and September, which we all know are the warmer months of the year. The research hasn't really gone in. Why don't they do it between September and April? So how efficient are they going to be um, for the people that are going to be using them? Yes, it's going to contribute towards the EPC changes as well because it's going to improve the, the property. But is it going to be effective? And is it really cost effective for the cost? It's substantially cheaper to do a boiler, though it's not the way they want it to go but it is a lot cheaper so they need to look into that i think the costs is something they need to try and reduce i think it's the same same with a lot of things isn't it everything when it comes out brand new comes out really expensive and and slowly but surely as build quality manufacturing supply chains and acceptance takes over those costs tend to come down and Early adopters are brave people. For me, I, I, I won't be putting a heat pump into my rental property or my own home because I just don't know how they work. I don't know, like you said, how efficient they are. And more importantly for me, I don't know about their functionality. I don't know if it will physically heat my home when it's snowing outside or whether it won't have the power to, to do that. Um, I'd rather my neighbour found that out before before my family from us from a selfish point of view i'd rather see the proof i'd rather see a million houses in the uk functioning off heat heat pumps and being happy with that because 
like everybody else, I'm pretty happy with my gas boiler at the moment. And whilst the world's changing around us, um, you know, Western Europe's trying to lock out, lock out Russia from gas supply and this and that and the other. I'd still rather pay a little bit more for my gas than risk it all by having my entire central heating system ripped apart on a, on a whim for a government grant. I would be interested to know that anyone that's listening on this podcast of how many of those listeners have done it in their own homes or if it's a landlord, how many have put it into their rental property and how efficient has it been for them? So I think I'll put something onto social media over the next couple of days. And if you can get involved at the landlord page, I'd really like to hear your feedback if you have done it or if you're thinking about it, what research have you done? What have you found from that or heard from others? Definitely. That would be a really interesting chat just to see from the horse's mouth, how's it working for you? Uh, we speak to a lot of people who've got solar panels. Solar panels are a bit contentious in the residential sales industry, Ian, because I know they can cause a few problems in selling a property. But quite a few solar panel users are, are real converts, but I've never actually met someone who has a heat pump in their house. Yeah, same, same as. I think where the problem might arise for landlords is like you say the first batch is always the test batch isn't it it's a bit like when you get a new iphone come out you really want the second second series of that new phone because you know it's got all the bugs removed but when you're in your own home you can experience what you've paid for you can feel what's going on but when you've paid for something and someone else is living there i don't think you ever quite trust the negative feedback you kind of almost shut up shop and say right i've spent it it's done and then when the feedback comes back, in this case from the tenant, you almost question what they've said. So I think it is something which will be quite frustrating for landlords. But at the moment, they don't need to do it. But landlords have been around for many, 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 many decades and will be around for many decades more. And there will be a lot of different ways that you have to be a landlord in, in the coming years as well. So it's just a, it's a hiccup and it's a hurdle we'll overcome. And financially, it will be something that you just need to build into those cash flows and where you're probably taking advantage of very low rates at the moment with mortgages, just make sure you're putting some money aside for these EPC changes. What, what, what do we think on the EPC gents? Mike, what's your kind of view on that? Do we think we're going to see it go to, to D or to C or what's the view? Well, the, this is all coming from the white paper from the brilliantly titled department of leveling up, isn't it? Uh, by 2025, EPC regulations for rental properties would be a minimum of a C um, in order for them to be lettable. Uh, we also know the average property in the UK is way below that. Um, so there's a lot of work to be done in general um, to bring those properties up to standard. My first port call would always be roll out loft insulation and changing changing spotlights into, into more more efficient spotlighting and bulbs and that kind of thing first spend small amounts of money before spending the big amounts of money on the big ticket items but it looks like it's happening um there's no government who's going to reverse efficiency energy efficiency and environmental um improvements even if there is a change of government between now and then i just can't see that one would reverse another's decision when it's in this in this genre because it's just too trendy at the moment and it's still quite trendy to to hit a landlord in the pocket isn't it to be quite honest i spoke to um a client of mine actually it's um it's an architect who i've spoke to for, for many many years and he gave me a call about one of his clients last week um, and his client had just purchased a grade two listed cottage 
that he was looking to get rented out. He's, he's had a good deal on it. He bought it cash, but the goal was to buy it cash, do the work, refinance it. He's actually struggling with the mortgage lender at the moment because he's just about managed to get it to an E, EPC rating wise, just about managed to. He spent quite a, a bulk of money doing it. And um, the chap sort of said to me, do I, have I got any advice on it? And I sort of passed my advice, but I also said he might actually be better off selling that as an investment and reinvesting in something a little bit newer because chances are that grade two listed building, if he's struggling as a builder with the help of an architect to get it to an E, how is he going to get that to a C potentially in coming years? He might be better off just moving that on and buying something newer. So the actual sort of search criteria for a landlord, I think might be a little bit different over the coming years. So again, it falls back to the new build element of things and stuff built in the last few years, because if I was looking at buying an investment and we spoke about, you know, our typical kind of family home go to, would I buy a 1960s family home at the moment as a landlord to invest in? I know the rent is good and the long term asset is good and the equity growth is good, but I might end up spending fair few tens of thousands to get that up to a C on that 60s home build. So maybe actually the the new type of investment search for a landlord is not what we thought it was just a couple of years ago in a couple of years time i don't know what you guys think about that tristan but the um the new build market's booming as well though from from what i've seen the rentals that we've listed have all gone pretty much immediately at premium prices um, oh, i had one the other day which was um his potential was 104 which I haven't seen on an EPC before. So it was a B rating, but it had potential of going to um, 104 as a, as a total. Um, that, which is that it pays you back? In, I, in I assume so. I haven't come across one to say, so I would be interested to know. Um, the theory of a seven-star hotel, you only ever thought they went to five. Yeah, exactly that. Um, so, uh, I mean, I do have another shout-out, really, is um, we've been trying to get an EPC assessor on for some time now. So if there's an EPC assessor or maybe a contractor that helps um, owners improve their homes, I would be quite interested, I don't know if you guys would be, but to talk about how landlords can improve their costs, both smaller scale and bigger scale. So if they are a low rating, what are they witnessing or what are they advising their clients and how can they do that? Because it is proving quite difficult to get someone on to, to discuss these topics. We can give so much advice, but in reality, as they deal with it daily. So if you are listening, if you think that you could benefit our listeners of this podcast, then, then definitely send us a DM as well. Um, but from what I'm seeing, the new build market's booming, EPC ratings are good, um, and rental prices are very good as well. So yeah, I'd, I'd love to have a green energy company and just to explain all of these different alleged grants that are available, that have been available, the green deals and the pump deals and the this and the that and the other to actually give someone some plain English rather than the government um, based advice things that if you ever looked at, you know, when they put 10 million aside for these grants, if you ever looked at the, the levels of actual claims it tends to be minuscule a bit like a bonus scheme for a, for a well-known corporate estate agency. No one ever hits it. <laughs> that's, that's an in-joke. Um, but it would be great to have someone on who can explain that, who can tell people what is actually worth the money, what's not worth the money, what's worth the paperwork and the bureaucracy and what isn't, and what a, a company can do on an owner's behalf, potentially. Um, I think with the 2025 thing, Listed buildings, your grade ones and your grade twos, there will be exemptions. There's absolutely no way that you can improve a grade 
two listed or a grade one listed building because you can't do things like rip windows out, rip roofs out. So there will be exemptions once you've hit a certain spending cap and once you've done what you what physically can be done without ruining a historic building. But as you said, Ian, my, my thought, I mean, we're in Bracknell, so pretty much everything is modern. But down the road, you've got Woking and Reading, which got huge stocks of Victorian property where the, the rear of those buildings tend to be single skin brick and without knocking those things down, without knocking those extensions down and rebuilding them, you're just never, ever going to hit a sea unless you've got, you know, windmills in your back garden and heat producing compost heaps and, and living the living the good life. You're never going to hit grade C in, in, in an old Victorian house. And it's just the way it is. I, I think about if you think of cities and town centres and high streets where you see the the Victorians or the two up two downs or the big the big London based townhouses that are all converted into seven or eight different you know flats effectively now the question is will those properties ever be able to get to a sea because of the age of them will they actually be able to get to a sea and what's that going to do to the market I mean it might mean that we see a massive influx of landlords selling which give first-time buyers an opportunity to capitalise in an area of the market they couldn't have before. So it could be a recycling process for the whole of the property market, which would not go against the idea that the government have got to help first-time buyers get on the market. Then the question is for landlords is if they are going to sell, do they then buy again or do they just actually go, no, I'm going to put my money elsewhere. So it could have a transition of a whole washing washing machine effect into the market at the bottom end it could release an opportunity for first-time buyers to be able to buy properties that they thought they never could and let's be honest that is a bit of a target of the government isn't it is is to recycle landlords into first-time buyers and it also regenerates the housing market they have to create someone somewhere has to create cycles somewhere sometimes they're natural sometimes they're economic and sometimes they're man-made and by putting big roadblocks in a, in, in a group's way, it will create that kind of cycle. Because if, if I was selling an asset now as a landlord, and let's say I've got you know, one of those, those properties that's been converted, you, you talk about Reading, Mike, you know, where we, we've, we've all worked, all three of us, and we know the classic kind of streets that you go down and you think these are all rented out because you just know they are, and a lot of them have been converted into two different layers if a landlord's selling one of those masonettes, as it were now, ground floor, two bed masonette with a garden, first time buyer's going to pick that up. And even if they're selling it with tenant in situ, if I'm a shrewd first time buyer, I know that the amount of first time buyers or the amount of mortgage lenders that are going to go for that, smaller than the normal resi, but I could pick that up and leave the tenant in there nine months because there's such a shortage of properties at the moment, pays the bills for nine months. I'm on the ladder. I've got a fixed price that I've achieved. And in nine months' time, chances are it'd be worth more. I can move into it. Tenants paid the mortgage for nine months, and it's worth nine months more value. I mean, we're seeing prices grow somewhere between 0.6 and 0.8% a month at the moment. So, you know, it's a fair chunk that has probably gone up in market value, maybe 5%. It's not a bad thing for a landlord to think about that at the moment, a first-time buyer to think about it. What it does mean is the advice we give landlords in the type of properties they're looking to purchase for future proofing has to be really, really on the point. And um, there are some good buy to let deals out there at the moment, but they might be different to how we would have advised 
seven or eight years ago, I think, is, is, is probably what we're looking at now. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's the irony. We, we had a chat with, with a client a few days ago who said they just don't see any value in the market at the moment. Um, and they would struggle to, to choose or to find a buy to let that they, that they would be interested in. And our response to him is, has been a response to a lot of people over the last six or eight months. Well, house prices have gone up 10 to 12% in the last year. So even if you bought something that you deem as wildly overpriced at the moment, if the market keeps going the way it does, you'll still make 10 to 12% capital appreciation over the next 12 months. So is, is it true that any deal is a good deal? Any, any purchase is a good purchase when house prices are on this absolute upward spiral at the moment um i think because a lot of landlords are looking at what they paid for property 10 years ago and thinking that's just too expensive now but that return could be far better if they get advice from the agent within the area so for example buy to let of the week i've got a few clients that purchased property um you've had one which was the four bed they got a great win uh, i think it was titan 10 was the uh, the phrase we used where um they brought it at a good price market boomed they done a bit of work to the property tenant went in at a great price um, rental price and they've probably made what eighty thousand on that in in 12 months looking to refinance and buy another one if you're getting the advice of the agent and whether you like it or not it's what the market's dictating so if there's big demand for a type of property and the agent knows that they're going to get a better return anyway flipping this on its head i got uh, alerted by my TikTok account last week that um, I've had over a million views of my videos. So I'm kind of a big deal on TikTok. I'll just throw that out. Um, Avocado Ian, follow me if you're on TikTok, ladies and gents. But one of the things that I always get um, comments on is about the market crash, is about inflation, is about you know the COVID stuff that's gone on, financial crisis, stretching the economy, Blah blah blah. You always get. Are you going to call it? Are you going to call the market? No, I'm. Go- I'm going to ask <laughs> the question because I get market crash, market crash all the time, and I always come back with. People have said this for many, many years. People have been wrong for many, many years, and people will probably still be wrong for many, many years. That's my view. But if you check out Google Trends, people are always typing it into Google. It is a very, very common thing. There's a group of people out there that are desperate for the market to crash we're seeing the polar opposite of that but will it when it won't it what's your thoughts on it i'll come to you mike a broken clock's right twice a day and um (laughs) when when people are calling market crashes i meet i've met so many people who have sold their house moved into rented and waited for the market to go down and it never did um, the last market crash we had, 2008, was 14 years ago. I am a big believer in cycles. So anyone who listens to these podcasts will know I'm an absolute believer in these economic cycles that they come round and round. But the market crash in 2008 in Berkshire, North Hampshire, Surrey, South Oxfordshire, where we where we operate, in 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 truth, it lasted about a month. In my in in my experience, there were certain pockets which suffered. Uh, leasehold properties in Reading, for example, where the prices had took a long, long time to recover. But then your freehold properties in towns like Bracknell, Wokingham, and commuter towns Camberley's, yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. The the, the recession and the and the market crash seemed to last a month because 
people just pulled their houses off the market. They were rich in equity. It, well, if it's not going to sell for the price I went for, I'm not going to move. Pull it off the market. Supply goes down, demand goes up, and everything goes back to normal. Um, now, that's not advice for the entire country. Far from it. I've got family in the Northeast who will absolutely berate me for saying things like that. But it's just true where we are. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a different economic climate when you go region to region. Um, but yeah, it's this global discussion of, of kind of crash. I find what people forget to f- uh, forget about with that, though, is is the market going to crash? I'll buy them. But what they forget is interest rates go up. So unless you're a cash buyer, it doesn't benefit anyone because you'd be paying far more in interest on a mortgage payment of a property. Um, I'm sure the affordability we've got because of that basis as well, if you're looking for a new mortgage. So there's not going to be any benefits to it in, in anyone's opinion. Yeah. I was talking to my neighbor um, the other day. He was laying a little bit of lawn in his front garden and I offered him a little bit of help because he's, he's a little bit older than me. And um, he's, he always asked me, how's the market? And I did say the market's really good. Interest rates creeping back up a little bit. We'll see how that impacts it. And he said, what are they now? And I said, probably gone from sort of on average 1.5 to about two. And he just laughed, leaning on his rake as he was doing the uh, turf and just said, I, I remember 12, 13, 14%. So, you know, if they've gone up half a percent, it shouldn't be a biggie, really, should it? And that's the facts of it, isn't it? I guess in reality, gents. Absolutely. 100%. It's the rate hikes and other headlines, which just make me give, gives me a real wry smile when, uh, you know, a 0.25% change in interest rates from 0.75 to 1. I mean, if that's making you struggle, frankly, yeah, yeah property's far too highly geared. Um, if that's going to cause you struggles, because it really, really shouldn't, you should be, you should be planned and geared for maybe 5% to make things work and to make things work for the long term, which is what buy to let mortgage companies have been rolling out for years and years and years since the last recession to make sure that people are, are in the right space. So just touching on some of the episodes that we've had on this season, we have Matt Jones on. And he wouldn't want to be called a wealth manager or wealth advisor by his own title because he thinks it's a bit of an outdated title. But in terms of summary, he advised people on where to put their investments. So he, he helps people create wealth in reality. It was a really interesting subject. I think it may have been Tristan, our longest podcast, because we had so much of an in-depth chat on that particular episode. If you haven't listened to it, check it out because he's basically giving an hour's worth of advice to people in wealth management. And for me, it's something that I believe people should get at a very early age in their life because I think it would help them structure their finances throughout their, throughout their career if they're just starting a career. But one thing that we touched on was about with, with the difference of profit that you can make on an interest-only mortgage with the high rents, low interest rates at the moment, there's a huge gap of profit that people can make. And we were using the example of £600 profit, saying £200 should go into cash flow for e-changes or boiler fixing or whatever. Um, £200 you might just utilise as spending, as, as, a, as a luxury item, if you like, for the fact that you've invested in something and you want to see the rewards of it. So you might go out for dinner a couple of times more a month. But £200 of it, you should really be investing in another pot, not property, but another pot of cash finance area of growth to increase your yield from 4 5 6% if you're lucky to potentially add another 2.5%, 3%, so that you can almost utilise the tenant's 
um, profit they're making you with the deficit of the mortgage to heighten the amount of profit you're making. And I just, I've been thinking about that episode so much because I've been a, a landlord for over a decade now and never really thought that way, but it was really interesting. I just thought from your point of view, have you mentioned that with any landlord since the episode? Has anyone brought it up with you and just what your general thought was good idea or bad idea? What, what, what do you think? I mean, in a former life, Mike, you advised in landlords, you know, as an agency sort of operator, if you like, to try and maximise their their wealth with their property assets. Something you ever sort of touched on or something you would now bring to the party if you were talking to someone tomorrow? I think it's something that it should be addressed. Yeah. Um, I know, Tristan, it was it was a big thing that that you took It was your biggest takeaway from that is like, oh, hold on. So someone's investment is making them money. We know that but then they're reinvesting that money to make more money. So you're using one set of money to invest twice, three times, four times, and each time it makes money, reinvests itself, regenerates itself. Nothing ever gets lost. It just, it's, it's just the best way of thinking that, right, okay, so I've, I've invested some of my money, but most of it's mortgage borrowing, which is making me money. I'm going to use that mortgage money that's made me money to now buy shares or put into pensions which is then going to safeguard a future it's absolutely the right way to be thinking as a landlord i always have thought well that property pays for the lease on my car that property pays for my holiday that property pays for for this that and the other so effectively my personal spending is coming down 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 to the point where anything from employment is 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 bonus money I've always looked at it in, in, in that way to try and make my, my, my residential property investments kind of pay my, my fixed costs in, in, in that way. And then anything that I make from work is, is, is stuff that I can then use to invest in that kind of thing. But it has changed my thinking. There's no doubt about it. And the assets growing in the background as well, while you're still having those luxuries, which is an added bonus there for you. But yeah, definitely. I've, I took a lot away from that and it was 60 minutes of free content which you don't get very often so i'd highly recommend to check that out but yes some great tips and advice in there and i think the other thing that is important for people to understand is the reason they are changing it from wealth management is because the misconception of thinking it's only people with money can look at this option that's not the case it's recommended that a younger age to have a look because the longer you leave it, the less money you have to utilize and make the profits that you need. So it's definitely worth looking into. Yeah. I mean, you can invest in property, but you'd need tens of thousands of pounds to kick off with. You can invest in wealth management with a tenner. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a different way of looking at it and diversifies your investment as well, I think, which is important. One of the other ones that I thought I'd touch on, you guys got the the chaps on to talk about holiday lets, which was something that we've been keen to really get into. So just you were in it, you were in the podcast. How did you find that conversation? Tristan, what was your kind of big takeaways that you thought that was really interesting? I didn't realize that actually. For me and Mike, it was, uh, we both said it after, it was like there was a lot there that we didn't actually know. And it was interesting to have on the podcast because if we don't know it as agents, I think it's important for the listeners that, and maybe thinking about it. Um, we spoke a lot about compliance, return on investment, where they would look to invest if they was to get uh, a holiday buy to let. Um, so there's many different areas covered on it. 
Um, but they're seeing return on investment of around 10 to 12%, which is quite high. Um, the average stay period um, is normally three days, but during the busier months is seven days. So I spoke about wear and tear. So I, although the return on investment's good, how much more additional are they spending on um, wear and tear? Are they painting more? How much, obviously, you're going to have cleaners in. So what are the costs um, in line with that? But yeah, there's a lot to take away. I don't know if there's anything you'd like to add to that, Mike. Yeah, I mean, what I was interested in is as a buy-to-let or a holiday-let investor, how welcome are you in a coastal town? Are you, are you someone who's going to get spat at as you walk into the local pub um, by the locals? Or are you someone who's going to be welcomed in because you're generating money for the local economy? Um, that's really interesting to me because I hear mixed bags, um, you know, in places like Cornwall, which are quite fiercely independent. Um, they kind of allayed that fear for me. They obviously pointed out what, what the obvious is and the average or, or their target um vacant or void periods is around about 38 weeks of the year which gives you 14 weeks if you want to enjoy going on holiday to your own investment for a free holiday which i certainly would and yeah i i got a lot out of it because it's just a market that being about as far from the coast as you can be in the uk in the middle of berkshire it's great to learn about other places other markets and see what's going on the big thing for me is if you invest in a coastal property now or especially if you've done it two years ago if you did it two years ago hats off to you you've really seen a market pop people don't need to be in commuter areas or in cities anymore broadband and fiber is being rolled out in a better way across the uk people can work from ever they wherever they want to work so prices quite often in these towns were depressed because there were no well-paid jobs in those areas and no big employers in those areas now it doesn't matter you can do a massive percentage of highly paid jobs from anywhere in the world so those people are going to want to live in attractive coastal countryside holiday type areas and live the holiday lifestyle 12 months of the year so if you've bought a holiday let yeah i'm sure it goes great guns as a as a month month investment but over the next over the last two years and over the next 10 years i see really good capital appreciation because people are going to be more flexible where they can live let alone where they want to yeah i've got on my kind of bucket list and my goals I've always been of the view, I've got young kids and, you know, my, my parents used to have a place in Spain, used to love going, you know, grabbing an easy jet flight for 60, 70 quid, pop over there. The cost of going on that holiday for seven days was the rental vehicle, really. That, that was your charge. And, you know, San Miguel was 49p or whatever it was. And I was winning. That had always been the goal until the pandemic. And my view has changed on that now, mainly because it's a risk, isn't it, to book a holiday, to book a flight? You don't know what regulations are changing. Do you have to have the vaccine? Do you not have to have the vaccine? Can you get in? You know, you could you could get pinged and just be bad luck. And all of these elements are things that stop that holiday. I think Brexit had an effect on it as well. Of, of really? How easy is it to buy and sell properties when you're not part of the EU? Just causes a bureaucracy barrier, doesn't it? And it's just, it's not what we're used to either, you know, where you've got to go to the council in Spain or the local town hall to get things yeah. signed off. And, you know, you're paying in cash or you're paying in, in bank transfers. It's all just an element of risk. And when you look at your asset as well, the volatility in, in those European markets is very, very high. So for me, talking of coastal towns now, the weather in the UK is much better than what it was 10 years ago. We get an earlier summer 
Um, there's less rain in the summer periods of times as well. You might have a bad year, but typically. And it's just a drive, isn't it? You just jump in the car and you head down there. And like you said, you could have it let for a third of the year, have it available for two thirds of the year and still be making a lot of money on it, paying for your own holidays. And that for me is the appealing in why I think it might be an appeal moving forward because, you know, we're quite lucky in our country. We've got beautiful coastline and some lovely, lovely little villages, little quirky villages or, you know, New Forest or wherever it may, may be, Cotswold, etc. And I think that that's a good place to put an investment for a lifestyle reason as well as a financial reason. So it was great to have those guys, guys on. Really appreciated that podcast, listening to it back myself, not being in it. Um, so, yeah, really popular, that one. We've had some... So we'll, we'll realign the, uh, the business plan from the Avocado Villa to the, uh, the Avocado Holiday Let in that case. And uh, we'll see where we are by this time next year. What, what about the guys, the, the two property investors we had on? Now, we like to sort of reflect with these people are essentially our client. And a lot of the people who listen to these podcasts are people who either want to be or are already. What about those guys? What did we take away from just sitting and chatting with someone who is a buy-to-let landlord for 45 minutes each year? Uh, well, the Sanjay one was, was very eye-opening because although I've known Sanjay for many years, I found it interesting to hear about the journey he'd been on with his dad. He was obviously using his trigger and confidence in the property market alongside his dad's ability to be able to financially invest. And as a pairing, they came together as as two people that one was very, let's say, aggressive with his investment strategy, which was son, and one who was quite reserved with his investment strategy, which was more his dad, which is a nice balance, I think, as, as, as a pair, because it means you don't rush into anything too crazy but you do progressively and proactively invest and you don't just sort of sit on a cash pot and never do anything. So it was interesting to hear that story. Obviously trust is involved. It was also interesting to hear about the journey they went on with the HMO and how they kind of utilized the fact of airport being local, created a head tenant, head tenant helped bring in other tenants. So rather than just having it as a standard sort of almost standalone HMO, they'd almost built a little community within that property let, which maximized their rental, limited their void period. And it was, a, it was a win in every which way they look at it. And at the time they weren't sure if it was going to be a win. And they went through the difficulty of, of COVID where obviously void rate was a little bit higher. So I loved hearing that story. I think if people haven't listened to that one, it, it's, it's real life case study of, of how to be an investor and, the first part of that journey was that they went into something a bit more safety, which we normally advise people go safety first. And then when you get a bit braver, go with something afterwards. And if it pays off like it did for them, fantastic news. So that was great. Tristan, I don't know if you took anything more from that before we discuss probably sort of Chris's journey as well. Yeah, I think you're hitting the nail on the head with that. And the, the other thing for Sanjay is he would do it all over again. Um, I asked him what his uh, ideal buy to let would be and he said he would stick with the HMO route. So it's not for everyone. It is a high risk, as we know, um, but it worked for them. And like I said, they've hit their target audience and, and worked out a really good balance. So moving on to Chris's podcast, I took a lot from that as well. Good friend of mine, been seen on Mrs. Hinch's socials, so very well known um, on there in the range of B&M and selling cleaning products. So a bit of topic on cleaning packs for tenants, whether it be something that landlords would look to take out for tenants to look after their home slightly better 
and use the correct equipment uh, with some advice, maybe some guides or whatnot. So it's still something we're looking into. But for, for me with that one is he used the success of his business to upsize from his property and then rent out his property, which we are seeing more frequently nowadays where people are in a position um, to, to buy a bigger property and retain their property and let it out because market's strong. There's lack of stock, which is obviously causing prices to go up. And if you can keep your properties and move up the ladder, with, like we've seen over the years, you're certainly going to make a great return on that. It was interesting with Chris, wasn't it? That he was not just out willy nilly buying buy to lets. He was, moving his family on up and up and up. So he was buying suitable properties, buying sensible properties for his, for his family. And then using that kind of well-known theory of never ever sell an asset. And that, that, that's quite a big thing. That's, that's probably the oldest piece of advice in the book is if you get through life, having never sold a property, you will be a rich person fact I know because every, everyone knows everyone's got a parent or a grandparent who tell you that really boring story of oh my first property I bought for three thousand four hundred pounds and you just roll your eyes at them because it's irrelevant but he's he's basically trying to run that story through an entire generation to get from you know 30s to 60s move five or six times and then sit with all of those assets in order to either sell off or use as pensions which it's a very, very simple strategy. But if you take that basic advice, never, ever sell the asset, then he's, then he's going to win. Yeah. Totally. There was one other key thing from that which was discussed. It was more, which we've heard in previous podcasts from different investors and people within the industry. But you get out what you put in. And when the tenants moved into his property, his wife had gone out and brought some flowers, brought a card and some chocolates. And... The tenants were, were impressed with it, although we give them a pack of sweets, but it was like, welcome to your new home and give them loads of like information about the area. And the tenants love that. And they just feel it's about building relationships because that tenant's more likely to be there long term, which in reality is if the tenant's there long term, you're not going to be chopping and changing, costing you more money to do that, having void periods. You want that tenant to be there long term. So from an investment point of view, keep your tenants happy. Yeah. You think of one void month, let's say average rent around here, twelve to fourteen hundred pounds. Take that out of your pocket, and if you could stop that coming out of your pocket by spending fifty quid on, you know, a bucket, a mop, some cleaning stuff, a nice bottle of rosé for the Friday, and um, you know, maybe a voucher to the local Nando's or something like that for fifty quid. You know, what a nice touch as a landlord to leave that for a tenant. Makes you feel like you're at home rather than in a hotel and somewhere foreign. So yeah, I, I really liked Chris's story and I found it quite funny actually when I mentioned the question about what did your accountant say, knowing that your business had kind of, you know, erupted and you were using this opportunity to go up. And he said, you're assuming I've spoke to my accountant and he hadn't spoke to his accountant. I thought that was, that was brilliant because it just shows <laughs> the organic, you know, an authentic way that he's actually upped through the ladder. I'm sure there was a lot of accountants pulling their hair out at that point, but <laughs> I'm yeah, sure. it was brilliant. I know how that feels, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of covered stuff there. And we spoke about the crash in the market, which we're, we're, we're believing that TikTok has got that wrong. Okay, so we're happy to go with that and, and say, TikTok, you might have that wrong. There's not a market crash around the corner. Some great stories from investors, you know, holiday lets, wealth management, EPC chatter, buy to let deals. And, you know, from our point of view, 
we do this podcast without anything in return. We, we, we don't sell on this podcast. We just put it out there for landlords. We've done way over 20 episodes now and must be half a year's worth of podcasting. We've learned loads ourselves. I think that's the fortune that we got from it that we didn't expect is getting these specialist guests on really is an educational process, a process for us week by week as well. So hopefully everyone's enjoying the podcast. Um, make sure you send a re- put a review in, put some comments in as well, whatever platform you're watching or listening. Make sure you follow the Landlord page on Facebook and Instagram as well because we're always putting little bite-sized tips on there or buy to let of the week, market updates. So if you want to see more on social media of what we're up to every single day rather than just waiting for a specialist podcast each week, jump on those social channels. And season four, Tristan, we won't reveal the guests we've got on, but we've got some exciting people booked in for season four. I actually heard that only 25% of all podcasts make it past 20 episodes. So we've moved ourselves into the black belt of the top 25% of podcasts already, I believe, which is uh, cool in itself. We have, and we're, um, we're, we're now 24 episodes in, I believe. Um, we've hit over 2,000 downloads, which is great stuff for a brand new startup, a podcast. And we're looking at improving, always looking to improve and some great guests lined up for, for the next series. So um, as usual, if anyone would like to get involved with our podcast or they feel they can add value to the listeners, then please send us a DM. Just leaves us, I guess, to say thanks to those thousands of people who have listened in the first three series. We'll be back very, very shortly on a Friday coming to you with season four. See you then. I'm flicking through YouTube and through Spotify. I don't think there's a podcast or a video channel on YouTube that landlords can land on where they're not being sold something. I mean, it'd be the first time any estate agents ever asked that question, but why not ask that question to a wider audience? They just have the knowledge there, but they don't seem to share it. You can do different episodes based around someone that wants an exit plan or someone that's just starting their portfolio. The rules change every year. Yeah. But why not just open the floor out and just say, well, is property even the best investment out there? And tax advice is a big thing, especially with everything that's changed, capital yeah. gains tax and obviously a stamp duty costs that you need to pay and whatnot. People don't realise what they need to prepare for. We build a podcast and we build a YouTube channel, somewhere that landlords can go and they feel they're not being sold to, but they're just getting quality advice.